Hello, everybody. We're reading the first chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, and we're on stanza 18. In this section of this chapter, Duryodhana is listing all the negative, quali- all the positive qualities that he's fighting. And, uh, well, it's not any longer him telling it, it's just the story itself, that uh, all these positive qualities are blowing their conch shells, that is to say, emitting their vibrations of power and uh, con- encouragement to the uh, devity. And it says, Drupada, extreme dispassion, the sons of Draupadi, the five Pandavas, and the mighty-armed son of Subhadra, self-mastery, all these, O Lord of the earth, blew loudly on their conches. Well, we've heard the sound of the conches. The, actually, it's not conches, but the sound of a deep bell in the heart and a flute in the Swadhisthan and the harp in the, uh, or a stringed, plucked stringed instrument in the, in the uh, lumbar or muladhara. All of these are a part of the experience that devotees have when they go deep into meditation, especially if they concentrate on God as sound. And if they meditate, hear it listening in the right ear, they begin to hear these sounds. Listen, they're a very good focus for your concentration. And then here we seem extreme dispassion. What is extreme dispassion? It means knowing to your absolute depths that nothing will give you what you're looking for. It doesn't mean to be cold. It doesn't mean to lack humor. It doesn't mean to have no joy. It means simply to know that all that you are looking for is within yourself and in the infinite spirit. It isn't out there in things. So when you have extreme dispassion, there comes at first a certain negative feeling of disgust with this world. That negative feeling is gradually replaced by affirmation. In the beginning, you just think, this world is such a place of disappointment. Everything that I've ever tried to do disappointed me. Every plan, every project. You know, the thing is that with this principle of duality on which the whole universe was founded, it means that for every pleasure there will be, there has to be a a pain. For every joy, there has to be a sorrow. For every fulfillment, there has to be a disappointment. It is the two go hand in hand. And the less you have of desires in your heart, the more quickly they follow one another. But definitely they all come. The only thing in which delusion or maya is consistent is that it always breaks its promises. People work so hard to achieve some goal, whether it be riches or fame or power or whatever it may be, should it, it should be very, and is it not, uh, thought to make you shake a little bit, to realize that the sum total of all your striving has to be and cannot but be zero to do all this for nothing and to go on millions and millions of years and always the sum total is nothing. It's zero. I mean, what an irony when you see people struggling so hard and you know when you reach this point of extreme dispassion, it is nothing. They're never going to get anywhere. 
And you may say in an in, uh, outrage, well, look at me. I'm, I'm at the top of my profession now, or I'm famous as a writer, or I'm a, I'm a wealthy man. Or Most people who talk like that are um, on the downhill slide already. Most of our hopes are when we haven't achieved our goal. Because in the end, when you achieve your goal, as Howard Hughes says, I'm not happy. You haven't got what you're looking for. But there's always that hope, well, maybe this didn't work, but that will work. But can you go on like that for millions and millions and millions of years? People do. That's the hard thing. It just hurts your heart to think of it. Because what they all want and what all, all of you want, what everybody wants, is Satchitananda, bliss. Ever existing, ever conscious, ever new bliss. And the worst mafioso, the worst criminal, that's what he really wants. That's why we have to love everybody, because they all want the same thing. The only trouble is they don't know where to find it. And they think they'll get it by murdering people, by stealing from people, by getting power over people, by getting revenge over people. It doesn't work. The sum total of all your striving, put this in your heart and write it in letters of gold, of flame. The sum total must be zero. And so when you develop that, there, there comes into your heart a certain disgust. I remember when I was young and I saw all my friends getting married and expecting to have a, a great career in radio. I don't think television was really an active thing at that time, but in all these other fields that people were looking for, and they thought they'd build nice homes in Scarsdale and settle down and have parties and have a good time. But you see them in their old age. If they're not disappointed, it's because they've compromised. And I thought, that is not for me. But I didn't know what was for me. I didn't know at that time that there have been saints in this world. I didn't know that you can find God. I just knew that this wasn't going to work for me. And I was really, I have to say, absolutely desperate. And when I found autobiography of a yogi, it was the day I put my mother on the ship to join my father in Cairo, Egypt, to where, they were, where he had a job working. And the day I found it, oh, it was such a relief. And I read it between tears of laughter and tears of, of greater, I mean, tears and laughter, tears of joy and laughter of greater joy, or vice versa, any way you want to put it. I remember I saw that he didn't, want, he didn't eat meat, then I wouldn't eat meat. And I've never eaten meat since then. And he was a monk, I would be a monk. I would not uh, settle for anything less than living as he did. And I remember somebody invited me that day because my mother and father being out of the country, all our family friends wanted to take care of me. So they invited me over for dinner. And the first day when I had decided to give up meat, I was given chicken a la king for lunch, and it was a bit embarrassing, but I pushed the chicken bits aside and ate it. I didn't want, to, didn't want to hurt their feelings. And the next day, somebody invited me to his home, and uh, his mother had made hamburgers. Well, that I just had to refuse. And he'd also very thoughtfully provided me with a date. And I sat as far removed from her as I could because uh, I had decided if Yogananda was a monk, I would be a monk. And I took really the next bus after finishing this book, I took the next bus four days and four nights across America 
from New York to Los Angeles where he was living. And as I've told you before, my, the first words I said to him were, I want to be your disciple. That was 61 years ago and I've never changed. But my extreme dispassion, which is, was extremely rejecting at that time, has become joyful. I don't need to reject it. I don't want it. And so you find that people, when they uh, progress spiritually, they, their progress becomes not dour, but very affirmative. You see that you can enjoy yourself everywhere, and everything is an expression of divine bliss. It's a wonderful experience. So extreme dispassion has its negative side, but in time it has its positive side. And remember, it also is not cold toward other people. In your dispassion, you feel a deep desire to help other people to find the truth. And so, Subhadra, self-mastery. We must overcome all desires. Self-mastery means to overcome any desire for anything less than God-union. When you have that, then you have what you're looking for. Because he won't. He does, he's not mean. He'll come to you when he knows that you really want him. But if you're praying to him, God, give me such and such, and give me such and such, and you ask for so many things, he doesn't, poor fellow, he doesn't even know what you're asking for. He's probably confused. Anyway, love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, as Jesus Christ put it. Joy to you.